We're in the second message of our series called Transform, looking at a letter Paul wrote to a group of people called the Ephesians and the surrounding churches. And I went back to that archaeological site, and uh, we're going to visit it again today, and we're going to meet a guy by the name of Philemon who came to faith probably in Ephesus, and we're going to see the ruins of the place where Paul taught for a couple of years just to help us see the reality that the Bible is indeed very true. Archaeology is a close friend of the Bible that helps us see how that truth comes to reality. Watch this. Lots of people came to Ephesus for varying reasons. Some came here to do business. Others came to worship at the Temple of Artemis. Some came to do both. One such man was Philemon. He lived in Colosse, quite a ways from here. He was an independent, wealthy businessman. And he came to Ephesus to do some business and to go to the temple and worship Artemis. But something was about to happen in his life that would change him and a whole lot of other people. He ran into the Apostle Paul. Now, Philemon would have walked down this street that I'm walking down right now. But after that, I'm not sure how he met Paul. The Bible doesn't tell us. So I imagine that he sees a stream of people going into what was called the Hall of Tyrannus. He wonders, what are they doing in there? So he walks in, sits down in the back, and he becomes engrossed in a message that the Apostle Paul is preaching about this Jesus who can transform your life and forgive you your sins. So he sits there, he listens, and the next thing he knows, he's on his knees, and he's praying, and tears are streaming down his eyes as he accepts the grace of God. And Paul prays over him, and his life is so transformed that he goes back to Colossae, becomes a leader in the community and in the church there. His whole family is transformed. In fact, he and Paul become fast friends. Later on, Paul will write him a letter called the letter to Philemon. And uh, he speaks such encouraging words to Philemon, as well as confronting him about some more spiritual growth issues. I want to take you to the hallway where that transformation took place, not only in Philemon's life, but in the lives of so many other people. And by the way, I hope that people are curious about our church when they see you pulling in the parking lot and this place full. I know I meet these folks. They, they just drive in and see what is going on here. And it's awesome when they leave with their heart and life changed. So let's go to the Hall of Tyrannus. I'm standing in front of a structure that once housed the gymnasium here in Ephesus. Actually, there were several gymnasiums. This is one of them. Now, when I say gymnasium, at least in my mind, I think the place where you play sports, where you train as an athlete. Certainly in the gymnasiums in Ephesus, they did that. But a gymnasium in the Roman world was also a place where you received education. You learned things about math, about technical drawings or architecture, and even drama was taught and practiced in the gymnasium. There was a man a businessman in town by the name of Tyrannus who ran a school in probably one of these gymnasiums, perhaps this one, and he had become a convert to Christianity where Tyrannus gave him space and time to teach. What did Paul teach? I think one of the verses that really crystallizes the centrality of Paul's message is, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. Remember, Paul has just left the synagogue to come here. The synagogue was all about the law. Paul was all about grace. That created this conflict between him and some of the obstinate Jews that opposed his message. As Paul taught about grace, people's hearts and lives were, were revived, were refreshed, were encouraged to think that they could live in the grace of God, that they could be forgiven, that they could grow in faith, that they were loved by God. You and I have also been saved by grace through faith. It has nothing to do with our status our success, our work, 
for our own efforts. And one of the things that we try to do at our church is to encourage you and, and, and help you be strengthened in your faith walk with God. And through the preaching and teaching ministry of our church, we hope to help you grow in that grace. As I pray, this series has helped you to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. If God loves you today, and aren't you grateful for men like the Apostle Paul who are willing to sacrifice their bodies, their time, the talents that God had given them in order that you and I might sit where we are today and enjoy the freedom of the gospel. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us this morning to grow a little further in your grace that you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have ever built, sewn, made, or baked something that you were really proud of? Let me see your hands. Oh, so did I, back in the seventh grade. That's how far back I have to go. I was in woodshop class. Anybody ever take woodshop class? Yes. And I made a spoon, fork, and knife drawer, and I was going to give it to my mother as a gift. So I wrote up the bill, got the lumber, cut it, measured it, cut it, and then sanded it down nice and smooth, and then I glued it, and I nailed it, shellacked it, and then I remember the big day when I brought it home to my mom, and I presented it to her, and she acted as though it, were the great, it was the greatest gift she had ever received in her entire life. She just looked at me with those big eyes of, of, of just joy and, and pride and and uh, she talked about how she needed one, not really, and uh, how she was going to use it. And, and she kind of prophesied over me that I was a great craftsman, you know. And I tell you what, my, my little chest feels so full of pride that I almost burst the buttons on my flannel shirt. I just was so, uh, I was so excited by that. And uh, I, I looked at my little uh, box and I thought, man, that thing is a masterpiece. And my mom loves the masterpiece. And it was a great day. Did you know that God looks at your life if you're his follower and sees you the same way? He looks at you and he's so proud of you. He looks at you and he sees an emerging masterpiece and he's so pleased by your life. Some of you are thinking, how can God be pleased in my life? I know myself and right now I'm not pleased in my life. I've got issues, I've got concerns, I've got burdens, I've got troubles, I, you know, I've got struggles in my life. How could God ever look at me and see me as a masterpiece? Well, let me tell you a little secret. When I brought home that um, spoon, fork, and knife drawer, it was far from perfect. Actually, I had sanded it a little too much on some sides, and it was kind of a little dinged in, you know. And then one of the boards had actually warped by the time I got it home. So it did this little curve in there. And not all the joints fit neatly together. You could actually see a gap between some of them and the little nail going through. So it was far from perfect. But what made it a masterpiece is the fact that my mother saw it that way. And because she saw it that way, it, to me it was the best, you know, it was the greatest. I was the Michelangelo spoon, fork, and knife drawers, all right? And, you know, you, you have a warp in your life as well. And not all the pieces fit together real well. And we have our issues and our stains and our troubles and our struggles. But you know what? God, in spite of that, still looks at us and sees something very unique and very special. He sees an emerging masterpiece in our lives. And one of the problems that we have, and I know our students wrestle with this a lot, is we have a tendency to worry about what other people think about us. And so we are constantly trying to please people. Don't do that. Don't worry about what somebody else thinks of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. 
And God says you're a masterpiece. I'll prove it to you. Turn open to the book of Ephesians, second chapter, and I want us to focus on verses 8 through 10 in the text. So get your Bibles open over there. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, and we'll look through to verse 10 as we continue our journey through the letter to the Ephesians. I've got it on the screen. Let's read it aloud together as well. Here we go. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there it is. It says you're God's handiwork. You are God's, um, you are God's workmanship. You are, as I like to say, his emerging masterpiece. And just like I chose the wood, God chose you. Because he loved you. It had nothing to do with the fact that you're all really good looking. It has nothing to do with the fact that you're successful or that you have some kind of job uh, or a degree behind your name. God didn't choose you for any of those reasons. The verse made it really clear. It was an act of grace that he chose you because none of us are good enough to impress God, to make God want us. God just chooses to love us just the way we are with his son in our lives. So, With all that said, how on earth can God look at my life and see a masterpiece? Because I know I'm not perfect, and I suspect you aren't either. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, sheds some light on that. Listen to what Paul says in that letter. He says, For those God foreknew, or before, for those God before encircled, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You hear what Paul's saying? He's saying God chose you in order to conform you to the image of his son. So the reason God looks at you and me and says that we're his masterpiece or we are his workmanship is because he is in the process in our lives of bringing out of us the image of his son. So from the moment I accept Jesus to that moment when I finally stand before him someday, God is working on me. Right, He's whittling on me. He's working on me. I am his workmanship. And he's bringing out of me the presence of his son who indwells me by the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that wild this morning? Here we are sitting here as mortal human beings with the supernatural presence of God in our lives. And God's goal for our lives is that we would emit the presence of his son. Now, it says that we are God's workmanship. We are not our own workmanship. You've got to remember that. Life is not about me. Life is about me glorifying God. My whole purpose and mission in life is to let Christ be seen in me in all that I do in my good works, which he has prepared me for, it says in that passage of Scripture. Now, with that said, I know that there are some of us who are sitting here thinking to ourselves, well, if I am God's workmanship, Why do I feel like I'm on God's scrap heap instead? If I am God's workmanship, why is it that I can't figure out what God is doing with my life right now? In fact, I look at my life and I wonder if God is even there because my life, frankly, right now is confusing or my life, frankly, right now is is difficult or my life right now is at a loss. So where is God? If all that's going on. Well, let me suggest to you that, that one of the things that's going on in your life right now that you got to stop is you are too focused on your condition 
and you, are, you have forgotten your position. See, when we get, start getting worked up about life, it means we've gotten our eyes off our position in Christ and we've gotten our eyes on our condition. We become overwhelmed with our conditions rather than being consumed with our position in Christ. This past week, what were you more concerned about, your position in Christ or your condition in life? And one way you can find out is by answering a couple questions I want to ask you. First of all, did you find yourself down and discouraged a lot this week? Then you were focused on your condition, because you can't be if you were focused on your position in Christ. Were you anxious and worried this week? Then you were focused on your condition. You can't be anxious and worried if you're focused on the God of the universe who has everything under control. Were you frustrated? Did you feel like a failure this week? You were focused on your condition. You can't be frustrated and you can't feel like a failure if you're really focused on your position in Christ. See, the problem with our condition in life is it changes so much. Kind of like the weather around here. Remember Tuesday? What a beautiful day. I mean, today's beautiful too, but Tuesday was so beautiful. How many of you can remember that far back in the week? There really, it was a Tuesday, and it was about 70 or 72 degrees, an outstanding day, and people were out in their t-shirts and shorts, running and jogging and playing. We were all out waking up after a long hibernation. Remember Tuesday? But do you remember Wednesday? The temperature plummeted about 20 degrees. We all had our coats back on, our hats back on, well, a few of us anyway, and trying to keep warm, and it was, the sun was gone, and the gray clouds were out. That's what life was like. You know, life is one of those things where it can, go from, it can go from worse to bad to good to great. And then it can turn around and go from great to good to bad to worse all in an hour. Right? Amazing up and down. You can't live being focused on your condition because it changes all the time. But listen carefully. Your position never changes. Your position in Christ never changes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Let's read it aloud together. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Let's stop there for a minute. Don't you love that? He made us what with Christ? You sound like you're dead. He made us what with Christ? Alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is by what? Grace that you have been saved. So God gives us something that we could never gain on our own and that we cannot lose. And that we cannot lose. And it says a little later on in that passage of Scripture that, that Jesus, it says that Jesus was, uh, that we are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean we're seated with Christ? What does it mean that Christ sat down? Well, when Christ sat down at the right hand of the Father, very symbolic language, it simply means that his his work was completed. So if I am seated with, with Christ in heavenly places, what does it mean? It means everything for me has been completed. My salvation is complete in Christ. I am completed in Christ. I'm in the process of now realizing that completion, but what's been done for me is permanent. It is done for me. And so we learned last week that Paul says that you and I need to be focused in this dark world on our hope in Christ and our future in Christ. And Paul says we need to be rejoicing in our, in our spiritual inheritance in Christ and on the power of the resurrection that translates us from here to the next life. Folks, life has not even yet begun for us. Amen? 
mean, we haven't even started life yet. This is a nanosecond. We're really going to start life when we enter into God's presence. And boy, I'm looking forward to it. Are you? What a day of rejoicing, as the song says. That will be when we finally stand before our Lord. I'm sure most of us will be on our knees before our Lord. What a day of rejoicing that's going to be. We have so much to look forward to. But I know, I know what someone is thinking here. Somebody is thinking to himself, okay, I can accept that. But, but Dale, please listen carefully to me. Why, you know, why do I have these struggles in my life? Why, you know, why if I'm God's masterpiece and, and God's in charge of my life, why do I feel like, like things are going wrong in my life? Why do I have health issues? And, and why do I have struggles with my finances right now? And why, you know, why the whole situation uh, with my uh, uh, relationships? And, you know, I, I'm not sinning purposely to create any of this stuff, but it just seems like a lot of stuff is happening in my life. If I am God's masterpiece, what on earth is God doing? You know, I thought to myself, if I were to pick up a new habit, something that I would enjoy doing is what they call throwing clay. You ever seen when they do that, you know, a potter will take some mud and they put it on, on a pedestal and they start spinning it? You ever watch what the potter does with that clay? It's very interesting. They work with it and work with it and they draw up out of it. They work it up into the image that they're trying to create. And it's such a beautiful picture of what Christ is doing in your life and my life. God is at work in your life and my life, drawing out the image or the presence of his son. And he's using those conditions or those circumstances or those trials or those difficulties in your life as as his hands to bring out his son's presence in our life. See, what God is doing in your difficulties right now is he's shaping you. He's getting rid of your pride. He's bringing you to a place where you are going to depend on him. But unlike the clay that you see that guy working with on the video back there, unlike that, we have a tendency to fight God when he brings or allows circumstances in our lives to uh, weaken us so that we have to depend on him so that he will be seen in us. We have a tendency to fight that. But notice that mud's not fighting that guy at all. The mud is cooperating with all the squeezing and all the shaping and all the pulling and all the drawing and and the finger that goes around there to give it shape and, and to get rid of that mud and the water that's being added on there. It's just responding to it. And look what's happening to it. It's being shaped in this beautiful vessel. And it just started out as a lump of clay. Same thing is true in your life and my life. God is at work in our lives. And we don't always see what God is doing. But he's doing something wonderful. He's doing something great. Because God is an architect. And I love what Psalm 127 verse 1 says. It says, unless the Lord, we could say the architect, builds the house, the laborer, the builders or the carpenters labor in vain. God is an architect at work in your life. Trust him. He knows what he's doing with your life. Can you imagine if we were all carpenters here this morning and we all came to build a house, but there was no set plan. It was just up to us how we wanted to each build it. Can you imagine what a mess that thing would be? It would be scary, wouldn't it? There'd be plumbing here, there, everywhere, heating vents all over the place, walls running into each other. It'd be a mess. But God comes along and he lays out like an architect a plan. 
And if an architect showed up and said to all of us, here's the plan, here's exactly where I want the walls to go, the plumbing to go, the heating vents to go, etc., we would complete a very nice home. God is the architect. God is building your house right now. He's building your house. And if you'll follow his directions, if you'll, if you'll trust him and submit to him, he's going to make something beautiful out of it. So well, that's easy for you to say, and it is easy for me to say. I haven't had to do much suffering compared to some people. I haven't had to go through near the difficulties that some of you are going through. But I know that God's shaping and working in your life. And I want to encourage you today. And so I've invited a guest uh, to share his testimony with us via our 30 Days to Live uh, campaign we had last November. If you were in a small group, you saw a DVD and a testimony by a fellow by the name of Nick Vujicic who was born without arms, hands, legs, or feet as we would know them. And you're going to hear his story for about eight minutes this morning. And I want you to listen and I want you to look for Jesus because if there's anybody that can speak to us about letting God shape us in our difficulties, it's Nick. So let's listen. The funniest story, though, is I was in a car one day, and when you see me from the outside of the car, you have no idea that I have no arms and no legs. You just see my head. And we're at the traffic lights one day, and this car comes up next to us, and this girl's looking at me. And I'm like, cool, let's have some fun here. So I look at her, and I grab the seatbelt in my mouth, and I loosen it. And then in the car seat, I just did this. She was like, I've never seen anybody so desperate for a green light in my life. I realized that as human beings, we want to know two things. In your pain, you want to know that you're loved. And second of all, that everything's going to be okay. I couldn't see that anything was going to be okay. I never thought I'd get a job. I never thought I'd ever get married. I thought even if I ever did get married, I can't even hold my wife's hand. I won't be able to dance with my bride on our wedding night. When we have children, how am I going to put my arms around my kids when they're crying? No one had any answers for me, and I wanted to believe that everything's going to be okay. And people used to come up to me and say, Hey, Nick, everything is going to be okay. I used to go, Everything is going to be okay. I want to go up there and headbutt them. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what do you know? You don't know how my pain is. You don't know what's around the corner. How can you tell me that everything's going to be okay? But it was when I read John chapter 9 when I was 15 years old and was convinced that God knows. God knows what he is doing. You see, no one could tell me why I was born this way. And no one could tell the blind man in John chapter 9 why he was born that way either. But Jesus said it was done so that the works of God may be revealed through him. And it was done and it was shown. And just this tangible faith and peace of just knowing that someone understands that God, who is bigger than my circumstance, is letting this happen for a reason. And I came to a point of saying, Lord, 
I don't understand this purpose, but I trust that you know what you're doing. And that is when that peace of God gives you that strength to get through from day to day. Well, when I was preparing this message about joy, one of my teenagers walked in and we started talking about joy. And he asked me, he said, Dad, what is joy exactly? I mean, how do you, you know, describe it? How do you get a handle on joy? And I said, well, let's talk about that. And we talked about it a little bit. And then he said, do you think if Nick had the choice today, if God gave him the choice and said, Nick, if you want arms and legs, I'll give it to you. It's up to you. What do you think Nick would say? And then I said, you know, I don't know. It's a great question. I'll ask him. So, Nick, I know you get asked that a lot, but what is your answer to that? You know, I want to be completely honest with you. that's, That's just who I am. I'm real with people. And from the bottom of my heart, I'd say that I'd choose this all over again, ten times over, knowing that one soul through my life would be changed forever and see that you don't have to do this alone. You see, because of my weakness, you see the perfect strength of God, knowing that I couldn't do this on my own. And when people hear me preach, as much as they want to try resist to the truth, they have no choice but to believe me. Why? Because my pain is real, but my victory is real. And I am a miracle of God that you cannot argue with. You cannot argue with my smile. You can't argue with the strength in my eyes. You can't argue with it. And so, if I am that miracle for somebody else, here I am. Let's do it. Well, let me ask you this. If there's one thing you could tell us about joy and how to experience joy, I mean, what would it be? What do you see as uh, most people, their greatest barrier to getting joy in their life? You know what? It's, it's about perspective. Do you know what we do as human beings? We find such peace and, quote, maybe comfort in your pain when you see somebody else going through something different. Like all of a sudden, people come up to me and say, Nick, I'll never complain again in my life. And I'm like, don't worry, tomorrow is Monday morning. You'll be complaining. And so there is no... (laughs) That security or that comfort that you have in your pain by comparing your sufferings to my suffering will only be temporary. But the comfort you have in Him... What does that mean? What can you rejoice about today? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you know that your sins have been forgiven and that Jesus has set you free from all fear and all guilt. Now, if that's not something to rejoice about, to know that we're going to be in heaven with him face to face for billions upon billions upon billions of years, no tears of pain, I mean, that's something to be happy about. No, of course it is. But this is the thing. We need to know that God 
never makes a mistake. That if he doesn't change that circumstance, then he will use it. And when you come to a point of zero selfishness, and I strive for that, I'll never reach that. But that's my goal, to fully trust in him. To say, Lord, thank you that you know how I feel. But I thank you that you are with me. And everything is going to be okay. You know, maybe you're a person today who's tried to get through your life on your own and you know that you're tired, you know you're exhausted. And even Christian parents come up to me and cry on my shoulder and say, Nick, I don't know how to pray for my kids anymore. If you want God to draw near to you, draw near to him. Put your faith in the Bible. Because in the Bible is where I find my strength. Promises that will never fail me. His grace is sufficient for you, for your family, for your job, for all that you need. He's there. You won't feel it. You won't see it. Maybe for a while. But that's where you walk by faith and not by sight. When things go wrong, it's going to be all right. It's a cool song. But I want you to know today that you don't have to do this alone. And Jesus is right here. It says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, For you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you may never be like Nick and travel around the world and share your story. But you know what? God has put you in a place, in a school, in a neighborhood, in a family, in a job, in an environment where he is trying to craft and bring out of your life, even through your suffering, even through your difficulties, the image of his son. So that others will look at you and not see you, but see Christ. So others will look at you and say, how do you do that? And you can say, well, I'm, I'm God's workmanship. God is at work in me. See, none of us know where God is taking us in terms specifically, but all of us can know that God is using us. The question is, do we have the faith, as Nick said, to surrender and believe and trust that he makes no mistakes and he knows what he's doing? Would you bow your heads? Father, as we leave this place today, I want to thank you for helping us make sense out of some of the things that may be going on in our lives right now that we don't understand. And Lord, we confess to you that part of our problem is we, get, we measure our lives by our circumstances instead of seeing our circumstances as a means that you can use to bring your son out of our lives. We confess to you today, Lord, that sometimes... We want to set the agenda. We want to be our own workmanship. But this morning, Lord, we humble ourselves. We set our pride aside and we say, God, here's my life. Do with it as you will. And out of my life, just just bring Jesus. And Father, what we cannot change in our lives, 
We believe you are using in our lives. Give us the faith, we pray. In Christ's name. And all the people said, amen. Listen, if you'd like somebody to pray with you this morning, in a moment when we stand and dismiss, our prayer partners will come up here. You can come up and ask them for a prayer. If you're a guest, please come to the guest center. And next weekend, we're going to talk about peace in these troubled times, how to have peace in our lives. Let's stand. If you'd like to receive a blessing from the Lord, as we stand, would you raise your hands and let me pray the blessing for you. Lord, we raise our hands to you this morning, needy and desirous of a blessing. And the blessing I pray for those who have uplifted hands is the blessing of assurance, the blessing of knowing that you're in control, and the blessing that comes, Lord, when we realize you are working to bring your son out of our lives. May that assurance That confidence go with us in Jesus' name. And all the people said, God bless you. Have a good day.